Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hello, this is a UK film review podcast. My name is Brian Penn. This edition marks the release of Death on the Nile on the 11th of February. This is the latest remake of the Agatha Christie classic, directed by and starring Kenneth Branagh as Hercule Poirot. So what is it about murder mysteries that are so compelling? Is it elementary or do we need to exercise those little grey cells? That is almost a seamless link. Um, I've got my fellow film reviewer with me, Amber Jackson. Hi, Amber. How are you doing? Hello. I'm good, thank you. This is my first podcast of 2022, so I'm very excited. Well, well mine too, actually, to, to be fair. So oh, wow. we're, we're both on the same page, aren't we? So, Amber, <laughs> tell me what you think. Tell me what you think. What is it about murder mysteries that are so appealing? Oh, so many different things. Where to start? Yeah. Um, mm. The suspense, the intrigue, the glamour, yeah. beautifully written stories um, yeah. that always focus on lavish landscapes and locations. Yeah. I think the the best thing is that despite all of the extravagance and the flamboyant characters, there's also, in at least in murder mysteries that I've experienced, mm. a focus on the everyday man and... Yeah that yeah. kind of it kind of helps the audience member you know 
feel a part of it I feel like whenever I'm watching a murder mystery I don't know if you feel the same but it makes mm. me feel quite clever I feel like I'm uncovering the mystery too well yeah I think you're right though I think you've kind of nailed it because what it does it brings you inside there's a there's an intimacy between the characters yeah. on screen and you and you as the viewer because you feel like you're part of the story yourself you feel like you're helping to solve the murder mystery as well which which makes it even more sort of compelling because it draws you in because it is a study yeah. of the human condition, isn't it? Because if we, if, if we have a murder at the, the centre of the story, uh, we're being asked to examine motivation, means, motive, why they did it, how they did it. This is what we're going to come on to. Well, I mean, when um, I was researching for the podcast, I never realised that murder mysteries have been academically studied and mm, that, we, yeah. that they subdivided the murder mystery genre up because what we would know as a whodunit is actually known as a closed mystery insofar you get the solution at the end so this is where it really makes you think and we have an open mystery as well where you get you see the culprit at the beginning but you work you get to work out how mm. and why they did it so for me that's in essence is what makes it a great genre because it's making you think one of my big hobby horses uh, with any kind of film, any kind of storyline, it's, you know, is it making me work for my entertainment? You know, mm. is it making me think a bit more? You don't see cars blowing up or planes exploding or lots of CGI, but you're seeing a very real story. You're seeing fully formed characters. Uh, you're seeing a storyline develop. That's so important because you think that is w- what storytelling is. Now, you can see a story being told uh watching Fast and Furious or Star Wars or something, right? But but it's a very it's for me it's a very one dimensional story. There's not a lot to it. But with a murder mystery, you're being asked to look at all kinds of angles in human nature. And but you you hit on something that I never thought of previously though, is that you do get a certain amount of style and glamour in a murder mystery, I think. Um, I think that's a good point. You've got some great locations and great visuals and it is very stylish. And I think that's why, you know, the common reference point is Agatha Christie, isn't it? You know, she set the template in many ways. She wasn't the only one. She wasn't the first. But you ask anyone to name a murder mystery, they would say something by Agatha Christie, you know. So I think we're dealing with a very powerful genre that's always going to be at the top of my list of genres because of what it can do and the way it makes you think and the impression it leaves on you as well. Uh, so I yeah. think it's brilliant. I think it's amazing. So, okay. On the head as well, um, I know. Because um, it's kind of, with Agatha Christie, I think you get with her films, um, it's often quite an A-list cast. So again, it kind of yeah. comes into that glamour. I know. Um, and yeah. um, as well. Yeah. It, no, even I, though yeah. some events kind of, feel far-fetched it it's kind yeah. of events that could possibly happen yeah under oh, look, the right I, circumstances yeah now amber i think you're right because the point is if you imagine you're a, a writer or a director and you're writing a murder mystery you mm. can be as outrageous as you like right as long as you keep some grip on reality right because yeah. you could say right i know this is this might be absurd that it logically wouldn't happen in life, but it's possible. It might not be likely, but it's possible. As long as you keep a grip on reality, that's okay. You yeah. can do that because you look at what motivates people to commit murder, 
right? It could be revenge, it could be guilt, it could be greed, it could be all kinds of emotions driving someone, couldn't it? Right? Mm. But we know that, that, that it has some basis in reality, even though you might think of the normal course of events, it wouldn't happen. So as long as you've got a, just a tiny grip on reality, that's all right. Because I'll be the first one to start picking apart and say, no, it would never happen. But, but you know, do you know what I'm getting at? If it yeah, could, absolutely. if it could, you've got that tiniest grip on reality. Even if it's clinging on by its fingernails, I don't mind. As long as I'm being entertained by it and I think, yeah, it's possible, yeah. then I'm okay with it. So if we start looking at our favourite films uh, in the murder mystery genre, um, if you do five and I'll do five, sure. um, what's, what's your first one? So my first one is Rear Window. Um, which oh, is, I love that I film. Yeah. Film. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, oh, I, I love it. Love my it. Favorite. Um, yeah. Absolutely. One of my favorite murder mystery films. Yeah. Um, obviously a Hitchcock film. Yeah. Um, shall I give a brief plot? Yeah. Down? Yeah. Yeah. Just run, run, run through very briefly. Um, so we've got. Jeff, who is played by the iconic James Stewart, he is mm-hmm. a professional photographer and he's stuck in his apartment because he's got a broken leg, so he can't yeah. go anywhere. So it, yeah. he's, he's very bored um, and he's watching people outside in neighbouring flats. Um, yeah. And then he sees something that he can't unsee. Um, yeah. So then he begins to investigate what he's seen. It's just the whole the whole situation is just classic Hitchcock, isn't it? He's completely... Yeah playing with the viewer i'm so glad you 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 picked that film because it it is a brilliant film and it never seems to age you know it's 1950 Mm. 54 55 ish i think yeah and it doesn't feel old-fashioned it doesn't creak at all it's very fresh and i just like that kind of the setup i think is brilliant where he's sitting there right and he's got he's got exactly the same view that we have of proceedings right and he can see all these sort of mini dramas playing out in front of him in, in each room as yeah. he looks out and it's called kind of like you can see what you can see but you're getting inside his head as well this is what Agatha, this is what sorry not Agatha Christie but this is what Hitchcock was so mm. good at he gets inside your head he puts yourself he puts himself inside your head knows what you're thinking and he puts you inside the character's head as well yeah that's and why it, this film is so yeah. clever just because um I feel like this is the, one of the most important parts of like those classic murder mystery films yeah. is that we, the way the camera's moving between all of the different apartments, we feel like we are there as well. Yeah. We are, we are forced to be an active spectator. Yeah. We are as much involved as all of the characters in the film. And we want to discover what's yeah. happening. We want to discover if Jeff's perspective is reliable um, and that kind of thing. And it's just <clears throat> that kind of active role that we have to yeah. take in the film I, is, is brilliant. <laughs> yeah, and I think also James Stewart was such a good actor as well. And Grace and, Kelly uh, as well, isn't it? Grace, you see, the, the thing is, <laughs> yeah, like, you see, like most great directors, Hitchcock um, would only work with a certain pool of actors. And mm. like all great directors, he could be very difficult because very few actors shared his vision and knew yeah. what he wanted. So he would often work with the same actors. He, he yeah, works with Cary yeah. Grant a lot, didn't he? Yeah, um, but, but And also James Stewart, who I think was a terrific actor, an amazing, got great mm-hmm. presence. And of course, Grace Kelly as well. We all know that Hitchcock had this thing about blonde actors, didn't he? Yeah. 
And that kind kind of sort of sets it up. It puts it all into very sharp focus. But yeah, a, a terrific film, incredible film that still grabs your attention. As I say, yeah, it's, it's so tense, isn't it? Yeah, it, it could, you're on eggshells. <laughs> but you see, the thing is, though, he doesn't have to try too hard because he under he understand Hitchcock understands what the viewer is thinking. Right. Mm. So really, everything's filmed from from our perspective and the way we might might see it. Um, so an amazing film and an excellent first pick. Um, I'm most impressed. What's your second one then? Thank you. Yeah. Um, so number two is obviously Murder on the Orient Express. Oh, now, yeah. Which one are you going to pick? Oh, now why was? Yeah, I know it's difficult because there've been two two versions. There was. 1974, um, directed by Sidney Lumet and mm-hmm. starring Albert Finney. And there was 2017, directed by and starring Kenneth Branagh. Now, you've gone for the later version. I have. Uh, have you seen the earlier one? I have not, uh, Right. I'm okay. going to. It's on yeah. the list now because well, when I was looking up this film, yeah. trying to refresh uh, my memory, I, it kept coming but, up a lot. But you see, I'll come back to your earlier point about Glamour. Because mm. Murder on the Orient Express, the first thing it does, it puts the story in a very romantic setting. The Orient Express, between the wars, Art Deco, it looks stunning. It looks beautiful. Oh, yeah. And you think, God, I wish I... It makes you think straight away, I wish I was there. I wish I was on that carriage. I wish I was there just watching these characters, just watching the story yeah. develop. And Again, it ticks all the boxes, doesn't it? A-list yeah. Hollywood cast, yeah. new and inventive character, yeah. uh, characterizations. That's right. It's a, re- it's a really interesting reinvention of of Poirot yeah. um, as well. Kenneth Branagh, like, is obviously not what you when you when you think of Poirot, you don't think of him looking like that. So, whilst yeah. it's not kind of traditional, it's. I mean, I thought he was very fun. To, he's very fun to watch. Uh, I think you forget what a great director Kenneth Branagh is because I still think of him more as an actor for some reason. I don't know why, but he's he's directed some brilliant, brilliant films. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Belfast that's out at the moment is incredible, amazing oh, yeah. film. You know, so he's obviously got his director's credentials very well set out. He's got an impressive CV, hasn't he? He's directed Henry V. Uh, he's got a great... Tr- Great track record, and it's difficult to force him in some ways uh, because to take something like Murder on the Orient Express and film it again, but might somehow improve on it, and I think he has in some ways. Yeah. Uh, visually, it, it looks, you think you couldn't possibly beat the 74 original, um, but you think in some ways he does because it feels a bit crisper. And I think, you know what I think probably does it as well? You know, mm. we're talking about 40 years between the first and the second films. And I think cinema, cinematography has kind of in, improved slightly. The, oh, yeah, the, sure. the technical side of it's got better. I think you'd have to say that. Yeah. And I think that all helps. Right. And it gives it um, an extra gloss, if you like. Mm-hmm. I think that's it's important. Polished, isn't it? But it is. It is. And, and hasn't hasn't Kenneth Branagh got a great moustache in that film as well? Yeah, I in the <laughs> notes I've got of this of this yeah. film, I've just yeah. written fantastic moustache. Uh, so, so big and bushy. I know. I, I, it kind of looks so impressive. You you think it must have its own agent? You know, you it's, think it's real. Do you know if it's real? I don't know actually, to be honest, whether it is I or not. Know. It it kind of 
it looks too good to be true, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, I know, right? It's that kind of a, you see, I, I don't like facial hair at all. You know, I had a, no, I had a moustache for about a year when I was about 20 and it looked ridiculous. <laughs> it, it, looked, it looked false. It looked like I was wearing a false moustache. It didn't look real. <laughs> but you see, the thing is, though, Kenneth Branagh's moustache, it, it's amazing. But you see, I think yeah. it's more important than you realise, right? Because uh, David Suchet, who, as you know, played pro yes. On TV, he always said the the moustache is a very important part of the character. He oh, said, yeah. until I get those half moon glasses on, until I get that moustache on, then I, I feel it. I feel the character. I'm Brilliant. I'm in that space, and I I think that's what makes it so important. Agatha Christie um, was notoriously fussy when she looked at the actors that played her characters, whether it was Miss Marple or... Yeah, I heard about that with Miss Marple. Hercule Poirot. She was never satisfied. She was never quite happy with the way they looked. Mm. And um, in the um, in the original film version in 74 of Better on the Orient Express, she said, oh, I liked Albert Finney playing Hercule Poirot, but his moustache was so disappointing. She said, I, <laughs> I, I wrote that he had the finest moustache in England. Mm. And I thought, well, maybe it was, you know... <laughs> I, Setting a very high well, maybe bar. She maybe she wouldn't have approved of Kenneth Branagh's then. <laughs> well, I don't know. You see, I, what I was just going to say was that maybe she would have, because, you know, mm. that, I mean, it might not be the finest moustache in England, but it's probably the biggest, though. Yeah, uh, <laughs> no doubt. But, I mean, really, to get to get back to that essential point, though, that I think it is integral to the character and mm. the accent, the half-moon glasses, the, the walk, you know, even down to the walk. You know, mm-hmm. David Suchet used to talk about the walk, and I, I think uh, Kenneth Branagh's kind of got that as well. Now, yeah. um, I think that's all part and parcel of the character. What I, what I think is great about Murder on the Orient Express is that you're not short of uh, suspects, are you? They've all got an angle. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, I'm a huge fan of Agatha Christie, but if you read her her novels, you know, all the characters don't have an obvious motive. Not all of them do. But in mm. Murder on the Orient Express, they all seem to have an equal motive. It's like and, a process of an elimination with this yeah, one, isn't it? I know. And yeah. I, I think the the idea that you've got them trapped because there was a snowfall in the story and the, the train yeah. stops, doesn't it? And the fact that the you know, the murderer is on this train and you think, oh, right, okay. And he's got a captive audience. And it's very claustrophobic it, as well, isn't it? Because it is, they yeah. I think until they figured it out and there's I, snow on the ground. And, and No, but I think you feel the claustrophobia more in the Kenneth Branagh version than you do yeah. in the Sunny Lumet version, which is interesting. Sure. Because, you know, with some remakes, you think, right, well, they're kind of, it's the same story. There might be a a few sort of twists and turns, but it's basically the same story. But I think you get that kind of intensity a bit more with Branagh's version. Yeah. Um, oh. So, but, uh, um, but uh, a great film, a wonderful film, a wonderful story. And um, I think with Death on the Nile, which is coming out this week, it, you know, mm. it's a lot to live up to, isn't it, really? But again, with Death on the Nile, you've got some great locations as well and yeah and on, is it on, it's on a boat as well isn't it so again that kind of yeah. claustrophobia element. yeah exactly the fact they're all contained aren't they mm. yeah so yeah and yeah, I hope so it's good. <laughs> a, a second good pick what's your what's your third pick so my third pick is another hitchcock film why not spoil yourself um, come on, yeah, go on. <laughs> it's rebecca Oh, right. Okay. Um, but, so the 1940s. Wow. Remakes. Yeah. Um, I've not seen the remake, so I, 
I can't compare. No, I've not seen the remake either because the original. I heard mixed that... things about the remake, so I've yeah. not, not braved it yet. <laughs> no, was that was that in black and white the original though? In... Yes, it was. Yeah, and um, was which it... adds a chilling element to it. I think it makes it a lot more spooky. <laughs> well, you see, I think I'm right in think in saying that that was one of the last films Hitchcock made before he went to America. I think, or okay. it might have been the first one that he, he made when he went, kind oh, of thing. Sure. Um, but yeah, again, it's. I always think I love old old films, you know, because me too, yeah. Because you, I, I keep. I always say right now, I, I'm kind of greasy with a, a snort of derision when I say this, um, but I I think there are very few great films being made today, very few, one here and there, but. Um, back then, it seemed to be every film that was ever made was a classic, or it seems to be. Um, mm. and, yeah, it's an interesting um, point you make. You know, and yeah. I, I t- you see now the the remake is is um, who is it with? It's 2020 it was made. I didn't realise it was that recent. Oh, Rebecca, I, yeah, it's um, yeah. Arnold Hammer and who I Legend. think is in Death on the Nile. Yeah. And Lily James. Lily James, yeah. yeah. Um, I think sometimes, though, when you look at an original and you think nothing could ever match it, right? And if you particularly love the original, um, then mm-hmm. it, it ends up being a bit of just, anything you see afterwards seems a disappointment, doesn't it? Um, yeah, I think that's one of the reasons why I probably haven't watched it because I yeah. do love the original so much. It's I mean, just like such a good interpretation of. Daphne Tomorrow's book. And, and also brilliant yeah, writer. I know, Daphne Tomorrow is excellent, yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Uh, and you've also in the original nineteen forty version, you've got the original you've got the cast to die for, haven't you? You've got Lawrence Olivier and Joan Fontaine mm-hmm. and George Sanders, Nigel Bruce. It is it's a great cast. And mm-hmm. you know, in some ways you look at that cast and you don't feel there there are any passengers there either. They're all stars in their own right you know and of course you could say well you know a film should be able to stand on its own without stars taking part but you look for the big actors to bring Mm -hmm. it alive i think um but yeah again it's yeah it's probably the first i just i've just seen that it's um uh, a selznick production daryl selznick so um it would have been when he first went to america but uh yeah a great film full of atmosphere yeah and um, mrs danvers is one of my all-time favorite characters just because she's so strange and creepy <laughs> like her obsession with rebecca and the house just kind of perforates the whole film in my opinion it's just but, yeah it's but just the thing so is that intense. <laughs> yeah but you see that kind of suspense and that kind of intrigue and atmosphere that you get often creeps up on you now, yeah. I always say that I don't scare easily. You know, I pride myself on saying that horror movies, I laugh all the way through them. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I don't get them, basically. So right? I'm rubbish. <laughs> uh, I don't get, you see, the thing is, I am probably am really terrified, but I'm not reacting in the right way. Uh, so mm. there's, some, there's something in my wiring that doesn't respond properly. But you see, what does get to me, though, is a film like that. Because it's understated and it's very subtle, you know. Yeah, and it builds up the scariest thing, isn't it? When you don't realise that you're being scared. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's quite subtle, and it builds up the tension, and you think, oh, it's kind of crept up on me a little bit. But Mm. I, I I just love those films. Any, I think black and white generally, it you 
in some ways, I prefer it to color because you have very sharp concerts, uh, and it's very cl- it's very clear. It's got a lot of clarity, I think, and it gives yeah. a film a more of an edge because we're programmed to seeing films in color now anyway. And yeah. w- when we do see a film in black and white, it kind of it it's hits you jarring, more. It? Yeah, yeah, it's jarring. That's a good word, good way of describing it. It's jarring. Yeah, good stuff. All right, <laughs> okay. So three out of three. Um, mm. I'm totally with you on all three of these so far. Good. I'm so pleased. <laughs> yeah. Um, what, what's your fourth one then? So this one's a bit rogue, but mm. I figured because it's got murder and it's got mystery in it. Yeah. And I'll I may as well talk about it. Go um, on. Yeah. So it's uh, Gone Girl. Oh, do, do you know what? That's I tell you now. That's in my list. Go on, tell me. Oh, I, brilliant! I, I love Gone Girl. Come, come and tell me what, why you love it so much. What, oh, what it... It's just fantastic, isn't it? Rosamund yeah. Pike as Amy is just yeah. she's so cold and unfeeling, and yeah. just like the embodiment of a true, in, like clever villain. Yeah. Um, and the story cuts in so many different directions and it yeah. continually throws you off as a viewer. I, we I, think I, we're getting close, yeah. but we're not. I think and it's that's a great. Fa- yeah, I know. I think it's a fantastic piece of filmmaking. Oh, you know, sure. directed by David Finch and it stars Rosamund Pike and Ben Affleck. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Um, brilliant film. It, it just constantly surprises you. There's so yeah, many twists and turns there. And it's one of those sort of films you think, I remember when I first saw that film and being constantly surprised by it. Because there you've got this kind of, on the face of it, a happily married couple about to celebrate their fifth wedding anniversary. You know, Mm. uh, bright and shiny, you know, they look the perfect couple. And then bang, Mm. you know, he's accused of murder. He's in the frame for a murder. He reports the missing because as far as he knows, she's gone missing, right? Mm. And you've got this really good psychological edge gnawing away at the plot where um amy was the subject of a, a series of books written by her parents and that gives it more of an edge i think yes, of course, it, ma- yeah. it makes it more kind of all oh, right yeah okay is there something going on there it makes you think <laughs> yeah it makes you think right is there something there in the background is this something to, is this mm-hmm. something to do with the parents so it makes you think there are all kinds of possibilities there so that's what a great murder mystery does and I, I think Rosamund Pike was just amazing in the role. Oh, um, incredible. Honestly, you know, she's terrifying. And, and you think, God, I, you know, she scares you in a way. <laughs> to be that calculating um, and that uh, ruthless, really. Um, because when the film starts, right, you think, okay, she's missing, right? Um, and then the, uh, he reports the missing, the police come down, and they start finding evidence of a struggle that you know nothing yeah. about and bloodstains and you think oops what's going on here and you think you kind of you're you're almost in on his side you're, you're on his side because you think you know a great storyline makes you take sides straight away you think i'm, I'm on his side what, yeah. what's what's happened to him why is it why is he being why is you he being afraid him, don't you yeah, yeah. exactly it's you know you think to yourself has there been a murder is she really dead? Is she alive? Yeah. And all of those kind of possibilities are being thrown at you. And you think, this this is it. This is the bomb. When it when it comes to, uh, I, we both love Agatha Christie, right? But mm-hmm. when it comes to contemporary modern murder mystery through stroke thrillers, this is how you should do it. This is how you tell a story. Because mm-hmm. it is genuinely gripping. You know, I, I, almost, I would almost say that if Hitchcock was alive, he'd have been proud of a film like that. 
because that is that is very Hitchcockian isn't it and it's um it's brutal like obviously back in Hitchcock's day not as much bloody violence would have been allowed on screen arguably yeah definitely has an 18 rating for a reason it earns it yeah it earns it doesn't it I think with with Hitchcock though you've raised an interesting point there because when he had when he was around, he had to comply with a certain code, the Hayes Code. There were certain things he couldn't yeah. show. But Absolutely. that kind of inadvertently led to a, a, a very clever technique that Hitchcock often used, was that he'd leave a lot of the violence off screen. Right? Yeah. He'd leave yeah. it in your own head. And sometimes that can be more terrifying. It's the fact you can't see it. Yeah, because right? it's up to your imagination to yeah. decide, I guess. Because a character oh. will, will just close the door or you'll see a shadow and it moves off screen yeah. and you can't see it. You might yeah. hear it, but you can't see what's happening. And in some ways, the restrictions of the day helps him to become a better director. Of course, now, mm. I mean, it doesn't make Gone Girl any less of an achievement, but now <laughs> they can they can afford to be as, as brutal as they can get away with. Yeah, um, I think they, um, I, read, I read online that the distributors tried to, Obviously, when it was getting rated by the BBFC, they tried to submit it as a 15. Um, and the I think, BBFC yeah, were just like, nope. Uh, no, no. I don't, think <laughs> and I don't blame them. No. But you see, I think... There's no yeah. way it could be a 15. Can you imagine? I know. Uh, it's not definitely not a 15. But then again, though, I mean, I often think in some ways the ratings are becoming redundant because we can't control what what we watch now, what our children watch. And it, they can very easily get a hold of something that is rightly rated 18. It was much easier to control years ago, but we yeah, can't do it quite as easily now. But we can't do it as easily now. And so we can't protect our children from what we feel are adult themes and storylines, you know, because there are so many ways we can um, we can see film. We can see it on YouTube. We can see it on our yeah, mobiles. On, on our on Yeah. You can see it's it everywhere. It's harder to rate, isn't it? It's... I know, this is it. And in some ways, I think those ratings are, are almost a token gesture, you know. And, of course, we want to uh, protect our children from violence and things they shouldn't be seeing before a yeah. certain age. But I, th- I think that the ship's already sailed, you know. Um, when I was a boy growing up, there were it was easy to do. It was very easy to do sure. because film distributors had a lot more control. But... But as I say, yeah, if anything was going to be an 18, that was uh, for sure. <laughs> but a, a great film, a fantastic film. Definitely. And I'm glad that it, was on both of our lists. That's exciting. Yeah, yeah I know. That, well, there's actually another one. Uh, we'll come back to Murder on the Orient Express because I had that on my sure. list as well. But we'll oh, come sure. back to that in a minute. So, so that's two out of four that we've matched up on. Um, so what, <laughs> what's, what's, your, what's, your, what's your next one? So my fifth and final is yeah. uh, Knives Out. Ah, now that, right. Now that's that's interesting because mm-hmm. whilst whilst I I enjoyed it, it yeah. didn't quite land with me as well as it should have done. And for me, it's I know a sort of film. Sort of yeah. film I need to see, see a second time. I think. What What did you like I, about it? Yeah. No, I completely agree. That's what I was thinking of as well, because I, when I thought of it, I thought, this is a bit of a rogue choice. Why, why mm. am I saying that? Because when I did first see it, I was I was kind of like you. I wasn't really sure how I felt about it. Mm. I think, I mean, I think I do need to watch it again. Um, but I just, I don't know. It's such an interesting take on a murder mystery. 
Um, it's trying, yeah. Like the patriarch of the family, Harlan Thornbury, is found dead mm. in his mansion. And then mm-hmm. Detective Benoit Blanc, sorry for my pronunciation, <laughs> he begins to investigate and <laughs> yeah. like kind of like Murder on the Express, you yeah. know, everyone in the family is a suspect. So it's got that traditional murder mystery feel, but there yeah. is there is kind of a modern twist. And yeah. I quite like that when yeah. the the template of the genre is kind of reinvented for, for yeah. a modern audience. Uh, yeah, I, th- I, I think like it, it. Yeah, it tries to do something different, right? I mean, there yeah. are certain conventions you can't get away from. Uh, I think with, with a whodunit, a murder mystery, uh, whatever um, term you wish to apply to it, mm-hmm. there, there are certain conventions you can't get away from, right? You know, you're st- you're going to have a classic setup. You're going to have a death occurs. The expert comes into play, whether it's a police officer, the private detective, and they start assessing the evidence and assembling the evidence. Who's got the motive? Who's got the means? Who's got the opportunity? That's part of the template. You can't get away from that. If you and I sat down to write a script for a murder mystery movie, it would include all those elements. Mm -hmm. And it almost feels a bit like a kind of a Mark Commode um, secrets of of a murder mystery. (laughs) <laughs> it will take it all apart and you think right it will talk about conventions that have to be there because if they're not there it's not a murder mystery it's just rules isn't it but within those rules yeah, you, you can true. you can be a bit more creative and a bit more inventive but that's why i i liked gone girl so much because it, it was so mm. different and visceral yeah, and, yeah. and and explicit and aggressive but with knives out it kind of it takes a while to, to land. It's the sort of film that doesn't hit you straight away, but you see what they're trying to do. Yeah, but true. still, still a very good film, though. Still a very good film. Yeah, and again, but it's, the, it's like it's got all of the the things that we've been talking about: the A-list mm. cast, the deception, yeah. the red herrings, the yeah. lavish setting. I mean, I think the film had something like a forty million dollar budget. Um, mm-hmm. And you can see that in the house. Yeah. It's incredibly lavish. It depicts yeah, the family very well. Yeah, I know. Um, but it, it, it certainly does the job. But like I say, some films are gross. And I think you do need to, to watch some films a second time, particularly a murder mystery, because the chances are, when I saw it the first time, I thought, oh, yeah, okay, it's all right. But when I see it a second time, I'm going to think to myself, all right, I missed that before. Okay, Amber, so that's your five favourite films. Um, all excellent choices, I might add. Um, so let's start, let's start with mine. Um, I, I mentioned earlier on that two of ours coincided. One was Gone Girl, and the other one mm-hmm. is Murder on the Orient Express. The first one you chose was oh. the one that I chose as well. But interestingly, as much as I, I like the Kenneth Branagh version, I would go for the 1974 original. Now okay. I'm not sure. I'm not sure whether that's because that's the first one I remember, because when I was a kid growing up, that was what I. That was the first, probably one of the first Agatha Christie films I saw. But you know, I was thinking earlier on that the uh, the original Murder on the Orient Express. You you compare that cast to the cast that we had in 2017. You mm-hmm. know, you look at the 1974 cast. You've got Albert Finney, Lauren Bacall, Sean Connery. Ingrid Bergman, Jacqueline Bissett, mm. John Gilgood, I'm still going, Anthony Perkins, oh, again. <laughs> yeah, Wendy Hiller, 
Vanessa Redgrave, Rachel Roberts, Michael York. I'm not finished yet. Richard Widmark. You think, good grief, Dennis Quilly. You know, all these fantastic actors in one cast. But you compare it to the 2017 one. All right, you got mm-hmm. Kenneth Brown. It's a good cast. I'm not disrespecting anyone that was involved, right? But you know when you talk about real stars, real top-notch A-list, triple A-list stars, you know, <laughs> you've got Kenneth Brown, of course. You've got Penelope Cruz, Judy Dench, fantastic. Willem mm-hmm. Dafoe. But after that, you kind of thought you run out of, you mentally you run out of big names. You thought, right, I've got those four. But then you're into... Um, Michael Rouse, you think, who's that? And you think, Yassine Zirel, you think, mm, no. Papa Esidu, no. And Elliot Lever. And do you know what I mean? They're just fewer actors that you know. You recognise them, but you don't know them. And that's sure. that's what I think. Do you know what I'm getting at? It's I kind the, of get, yeah, I get what you mean. I mean, but you yeah. see, the thing is, it's probably not a fair comparison in, in that way because the 1974 version picked up some of the greatest actors of the Hollywood, the classic Hollywood era. But there is no mm. classic Hollywood era now, is there? Not really. It's kind of shifted, right? But so yeah. I think for that reason, I would say um, the 1974 version is marginally better because of who was involved. But nevertheless, where I think <laughs> the current version or the, 19, the 2017 version really hits home is visually it's better. It, it kind of has that kind of... Sh- shine and gloss to it that you can't really um you couldn't really really do 40 years ago and that's where where i think it it just it just sort of scores just a little bit higher but both great films and very kind of stylish beautifully designed and again it it just makes you wish you were there it makes you wish you were you were actually in the place just watching this all unfold obviously no nowhere near the killer obviously nowhere near the killer yeah you just want to be a detective too yeah yeah you just want to be a detective at a safe distance you know yeah if you see what i'm getting at yeah 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 that's it yeah so anyway so that's my first choice so we both agreed on that but different versions of dinner my second choice is the negotiator now this Mm -hmm. is a film from 1997 Starring Samuel L. Jackson uh, and Kevin Spacey. Now they're both police negotiators. I don't know whether you've ever seen this film. Um, I haven't. No, it's well worth checking out actually because okay. it's got Samuel L. Jackson, it's got Kevin Spacey as two police negotiators. Samuel L. Jackson's character gets framed basically. He gets framed for his partner's murder, and he gets mm-hmm. he gets accused of, of embezzling the department's pension fund. So what he does, he's been investigated by uh, Internal Affairs. He bursts into their office and takes the investigating officer hostage. So the guy that's investigating him, played by J.T. Walsh, is sitting there saying, what's going on? He said, you're framing me, you're setting me up, so I'm going to find out who's who's responsible, right? But he says, to, but he takes hostages and he, and he says to the, the guys on the outside, Get me Chris Sabian. Chris Sabian, placed, played by Kevin, Kevin Spacey, is a police negotiator from another precinct, but he talks. He's the, he's the type of negotiator who would just talk for hours on end. Right. So, so that plays into his hands a little bit because he thinks, right, he's going to buy, buy me time to find out what's going on. And honestly, Amber, it, it's such an exciting film to watch and very underrated. But it sounds it, yeah. Because it almost kind of inverts the. Yeah. 
expectation of a murder mystery film. I know, but it it kind of yeah. But but what he does, right? He takes um, people hostage, but he's got police snipers watching him. And the closer he gets to the truth, you think, are they going to pull the trigger? Because they don't. The closer he gets to the truth, you think the more likely it will be that someone's going to going to shoot him but but they're all trigger mm-hmm. they all think right what's he going to say next and um honestly it's such a good film but in terms of the mystery, murder mystery genre it kind of it's a bit like a who done it it's a bit like right. a why done it a how done it so all these different sort of aspects of a murder mystery are coming into play right yeah and you, you're you're totally on his side it's it's a great film is where you take sides of characters you feel like you own them and you you're friends with them, right? Mm. And you're, you're friends with Danny Roman. Danny Roman's the character played by Samuel Jackson. You thought, how's he going to get out of this? And you know he's the good guy. You know at the start he's a good guy, right? You know he's been set up. You think, why? Why is it being done? Who's setting him up? It could be everyone watching him, listening to him. Mm. But it might be none of them. So it could just be one person. So there's the setup. What do you think of that? Does that, does that have I sold it to you? You have, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm into it. Yeah, and <laughs> I think also, I'm going to add it to the list. <laughs> yeah, honestly, you should watch it because, for me, it's a bit like Gone Girl. It's more of a modern take on what a murder mystery is, yeah, and I it like inc- that. incorporates all those little elements going on because it is it is psychological insofar that he's trying to work out the why why it's being done, right, mm. and and how he's going to buy time to prove it wasn't him. Not only prove that it wasn't him, but prove who who did do it. You know, there's oh, so this yeah. this that as well. And Paul Giamanti plays uh, a sm- a small time fraudster who gets taken hostage. Like and Paul Giamanti, <laughs> I, he's a great actor, right? <laughs> always going to be the support, but you always get value for money yeah. out of him. And Paul Giamanti so, sort of say, "Oh Jesus, man, why don't you leave me alone?" And he he becomes his stooge in a lot of ways because he knows how to hack into computers. And but anyway, look, I'll leave it there, right, for you and anyone else listening who's not seen it, because it is such a good movie, it is such a good film, and it, it just throws all kinds of ideas that you think maybe it's this. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Maybe it's that. So is Mm. it on your list? Tell me it's on your list. It's on my list. Samuel L. Jackson. 
Yeah. Always on my list. <laughs> right. Well, uh, but you see, the thing is, though, you think, have you ever seen a bad film with, with Samuel Jackson in? I don't think he's ever made a bad no, film. No, unless you, unless you don't like the Star Wars prequels, but I um, Well, you kind of, uh, I'm not a Star Wars fan, to be honest. So that doesn't come into the equation. <laughs> Fair but, enough. but, you know, when, when you, when you, you paid all that money to stand in front of a green screen and, and just wave a saber around, where are you going to. You're going to do it, aren't you? You're going to you're going to take the money if you're you're being paid yeah. twenty million dollars for something. You think, oh well, yeah, I probably would, you know. You're but, the but you know, might might <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. I mean, aside from that, but just an amazing actor who's who never fails to convince, makes you believe in the character he's playing every time. Absolutely. And I, I I think it's a wonderful film. Um, okay, so I already had Gone Girl. Um, now my my next film um, is uh, probably a surprise in some ways because it's not the film I would automatically have chosen. You know, when I come up with a, a top five or a top ten, it could be different. Mm-hmm. If I did this tomorrow, I'd come up with five different films. I don't know about you. It's true. You know? Yeah, you've got a point. But <laughs> this this film here, I, I, I think, I only saw it a couple of weeks ago. That It, it kind of grabbed me straight away. It's called Murder Mystery with uh, Jennifer Aniston ah. and Adam Sandler. Have you seen it? I haven't seen it. I've seen trailers and, and things like that. Um, now, there was a big yeah. fuss about it when it first came out, wasn't there? What? Was there? Why? Why? What was that? What was that all about? I just think, I just think those people were tweeting about it is what I mean. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I see. It seems right. to be everywhere. Oh, I see what you mean. Oh, right. <laughs> Okay, I, I've only just caught up with it. And there's going to be a sequel as well, apparently. They're working on one now. But okay. Yeah, but I really, really enjoyed it. I, for one thing, I liked... Um, I like um, Adam Sandler and uh, Jennifer Aniston together. They, they've acted together yeah, before. Right. Yeah. Um, they work they're really well. Together, yeah, they work really well as a couple. Um so that's a good start. Again, another good cast because you've got Terence Stamp, you've got Gemma Arsenson, you've got um, David Williams, right? But it look, this is the thing. It starts off like a conventional murder mystery, doesn't it? You know, um, Luke Evans plays the smarmy, sort of slippery, handsome English gentleman, doesn't he? He plays that part very well. Um, but just a, a thoroughly entertaining film. And I like the idea of a kind of a a regular bickering couple who were going on their honeymoon 15 years after they got married. And he's an under, <laughs> he's an underachieving beat cop and she's a hairdresser. You know, that's real people, you know, that's yeah, kind of that's normal, re- yeah. it's normal, regular people who, you know, you put yourself in their shoes. You think, yeah, that's, that's a bit of me or that's a bit of my brother or a bit of my best mate. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that, there's that side of it. I like, but the yeah, fact yeah. that they, that, that they, for some reason, Luke Evans' character takes a shine to them, and we soon discover why he gets them involved. But mm-hmm. he invites them onto this boat, and it's just that kind of clash of manners where the two of them don't quite know how to act, and they see all these glamorous people around. You think, well, you know, and he feels distinctly underdressed when he turns up in Bermuda shorts to a, a that big do. And I love, I love that kind of that kind of clash in styles where they don't quite know how to act but they they end up uh solving a murder in the end 
or a series I mean, of murders, or a series of murders. Let's let's not give too much away. Um, but <laughs> I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. It, it worked really well. It takes on board the traditional um, techniques that, say, Agatha Christie used. It's that it's that woman again, isn't it? It's, it's cropping up. It's coming keeps, back. <laughs> keeps cropping up, but it is an Agatha Christie style thriller murder mystery. Yeah. But it's fun. It's fun to watch. It's <clears throat> it's visually pleasing. And it, it works really well. And I thought, I was surprised how much I enjoyed it, actually. Because, yeah. you know, because I saw it, I thought, oh, I'll have a look at that. And I thought, yeah, that's good. And it it's kind of does what it says on the tin. It's the first film that's called itself Murder Mystery that I know of. You think, why didn't yeah. anyone think of that before? I like I like the irony in that. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. I know. So I, I thought yeah, it, it was good. really, really good fun. Um, mm. It's worth having a look. And you'll find it in all the usual places. Um, so it's worth having a look. So good mm-hmm. time to watch a film like that. Sunday afternoon, right? Oh, yeah. When you when you, you you think you know you think to yourself, oh, the weekend's over now. Like it's four o'clock on a Sunday afternoon. You're thinking about work, right? <laughs> put that film. That's the film you want to put on because it takes your mind off of things a little bit, you know. That sounds ideal. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah. 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 So that's murder mystery then. Um, now my my final film is. JFK. Now, I've I've tried I've I've sort of presented this to friends in terms of a great murder mystery, and I've had a mixed reaction when I when I mentioned JFK. Um, but JFK with Kevin Costner and a galaxy of stars um, is an is an amazing murder mystery movie, and it is the ultimate murder mystery. Have you seen it? Hmm. I haven't. No, again, another one for the list. No. <laughs> well, now that that's a bit of a, that's obviously a lot longer. You know, uh, murder mystery is quite convenient. That's a ninety-minute film that kind of sets you up quite nicely on a Sunday afternoon. But I think JFK is a bit like a kind of a, a Friday evening film. Um, you know, you, you finish. I've just googled. I've just googled it, and yeah. it's <laughs> a long film. film. Yeah, that's it's so a long, long. film. It's a very long film. But and you've really got to concentrate on it. But goodness me. But it's it's it has its rewards, right? Now I don't know how fascinated you are by JFK. Oh yeah. You know, to me, sixty years after the event, it's still fascinating. Millions of people are fascinated by it. They're fascinated by the Kennedys mm-hmm. for a start. It's the they have a mystique yeah. about them that never seems to fade. You never stop being curious about them. How no. could bad luck follow one family so much you know oh yeah this is it isn't it when, like when you look at their their history where joe kennedy jr was killed in a plane crash during the war the eldest sister was killed in a car crash yeah. and uh john f kennedy was assassinated and robert kennedy and uh, yeah and yeah. Then robert kennedy died in in 68 this is a family that is cursed by, by, by bad luck. They have that. Mm. It has that. It's that kind of magnetic side. You think, why Why does it happen to that family particularly? You know, there's that side of it. But also, you've got all the, you've got the intrigue, the political intrigue of why he was assassinated. Who did it? Was there a lone gunman? Was Lee Harvey Oswald even there in the book depository at the time? Mm-hmm. Jeff mm-hmm. Kay. Jacko throws. This is what Oliver Stone's so good at, though, is that he will create a montage and throws all kinds of possibilities at you. 
you know, and it's really, it's, it almost makes you dizzy because there's so many, there's so much there. You think maybe it's this, maybe it's that. Was it the CIA? Was it the FBI? Was it, was it the KGB? Was it the Cubans? You know, was it the, the Ku Klux Klan? You think it's a cast of thousands. It's a conspiracy that should never have worked because common sense would tell you that a conspiracy can only work if you involve very few people. But that was a conspiracy that involved hundreds of people because you think to yourself, if it was a conspiracy, the more people you you get involved, the more likely someone is to talk. But they've kept it quiet, really. Bits and pieces are coming out now, but they've kept it quiet for 60 years. And that's why I think it's such a great and engrossing story and the ultimate murder mystery because we're no closer we're no closer to knowing who the who why and how well we kind of know how i suppose but they're still arguing over whether he was shot from the front or the back and you think surely they work that one out by now and (laughs) but no but but aside from that you've got an amazing cast uh you know, I, I'm a big fan of Kevin Costner, really. I think he made some great films. And I think JFK w- was one of them. And he was really convincing as, as Jim Garrison, the uh, okay. district attorney for New Orleans. Um, mm-hmm. But you've got, you've got lots of great actors making cameo appearances. You've got Donald Sutherland and Walter Matthau and Jack Lemmon. Michael Rooker. You've got, you've got all these great actors that are kind of dipping in and out uh, Tommy Lee Jones is in it you know it, everyone you can think of is kind of there briefly because it's the kind of film that a lot of actors wanted to be in it was a bit like yeah. um, D-Day in Saving Private, Private Ryan and A Bridge Too Far actors saw it and they thought yeah I want to be in this I want a piece of this um, yeah I guess as you say because it is one of the most notorious murder mysteries in real life of, yeah of what I'd recommend it, before you watch it, though, what mm-hmm. I re- also recommend you see um, is um, some documentaries on well, it's Sky documentary, and okay. Oliver Stone has made two one four-part documentary. It's quite long again. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> Oliver Stone. Whatever he does, it's got to be long, hasn't it? Really, <laughs> um, but watch those because that gives you more a bit more detail a bit more detail and it kind of fills in some more of the blanks it it doesn't tell you a lot more to be fair because a lot of the records are still locked up until 2029 not long long to go we've only got another seven years to wait amber you know and I'm, (laughs) i'm getting a bit impatient you know um but Again, it's to me, it's it's the murder mystery that unfolded before the world's eyes. And, yeah, absolutely. And it's we're still no no closer to solving the mystery. And um, it's frustrating. <laughs> but it but it is though. But you see, again, do you see what I'm getting at though? That is that is a yeah, murder right. mystery that that um, that works on every conceivable level, and it's real. Mm-hmm. It actually happened. Um, so that's my fifth one. So I think generally we're in agreement. There are a few of mine that you haven't seen. It. You've really got to see them when you get around to them, when you can get around to it, though. I think there's a, another film that I would mention. Do you mind if I have a sixth one? You can have a sixth one as well if you want. Yeah, I'll have a sixth one, please. <laughs> yeah, no my sixth one, sixth my sixth one is um, A Few Good Men. 
which is directed oh, by Rob Ryan and starring. Oh, honestly, you're so far behind, Amber. You really are. Oh, right. Okay, then. So let me tell you a bit more about... You, well, you know about, you know what the film is, don't you, I presume? You've, you're quite familiar with it, or are you? You don't sound too certain. Well, let me just quickly run through, then. Um, this is primarily a courtroom drama. Um, and it stars Tom Cruise, Demi Moore, uh, Kevin Pollock, isn't it? And Jack mm-hmm. Nicholson, the legend that is Jack Nicholson, plays... Oh plays the colonel in it and it it's it was originally a stage play yeah and basically two two poster marines are on trial for murder and they their defense is that they were acting on orders a code red is terminology used in, in military circles where somebody isn't performing properly so the commanding mm. officer issues a code red which is totally against military law they order a code red, and they get roughed up a bit. Well, this happens. Uh, Private Santiago is basically beaten up by Dawson and Downey on what they say was their own orders that were given to them. He dies, and they're charged with murder. So we have a courtroom drama where Tom Cruise is lead counsel. He's never been to court in his life, always does plea bargains, but this time he's gone to court. Supporting counsel is played by Demi Moore. She forces him to do his job. As a, as a courtroom lawyer, right? And honestly, the scenes within the courtroom between Tom Cruise playing Kathy and Jack Nicholson playing, playing Colonel, Colonel Nathan, what's, what's his name? Colonel, Colonel Nathan, no. Well, let's just call him Colonel Nathan. And uh, the, the interplay between those two is incredible because He's trying to get him to admit what he did because they all know that he did it. But will he admit it? No. Well, they don't think he will. And again, it's a plot that kind of ebbs and flows, but it is primarily a courtroom drama. More about, you kind of know who done it, but it's why they did it and what drove them, what motivated them. Yeah. Fantastic piece of filmmaking. It's from 1992. Um, a great film, an amazing film, which you will be glued to. Yeah. You really will. It's that kind it's of got film. Jack Nicholson in it. <laughs> Is that all you need to know? Are you a Jack Nicholson fan? Well, he's just everything he's in is just—he's just so unsettling, isn't he? Yeah, he is. <laughs> you he, can't he, take your eyes off. I know, I know. What he does—what he does in that film—it's a great cast, an amazing cast. It's got Kevin Bacon in as well as one of the barristers, oh, yeah. one, of, one of the lawyers. Uh, great cast. But what Jack Nicholson does in that film is that. He raises the film to another level. Without him, mm-hmm. it would just be a good film, right? But he's on he's on screen for about twenty minutes out of the two and a half hours, but but he turns it into a great film because even when he's not there, the expectation is building. You think you want him to come back on because he's he's just yeah. so charismatic and he makes it work. And you think that's what a great actor does. You know, it's star. Yeah. It's a star vehicle. It's a bit like we were talking about earlier on with with uh, Murder on the Orient Express, where you've got actors of that caliber, you can bring them on board if if only for a short period within the film, but it gives it something extra, um, mm-hmm. and that to me is is what what a great film should do, uh, a great Absolutely. actor should do. Incredible, absolutely incredible. It, um, yeah, watch it. Just watch it. Do you want to? Do you want to go for a sixth film? A sixth? Um, hmm. Let me have a think. I think maybe there is 
maybe I do have one, but maybe we talk about it in a bit because it ties in with one of my answers to an upcoming point okay. question. Oh, okay. Thing. So, let, all right. Yeah. Okay, that's fair enough. We'll come back to that then. Um, cool. So let's let's go on to um, uh, favorite mystery writers. Now, again, a lot we can choose from here. Um, but what, what who would you go for as your favourite mystery writer? Does anyone really jump out at you? I mean, I mean, it's it's got to be Agatha Christie. <laughs> it's difficult, you know. When when I was thinking about this podcast, I thought there are two names that we're not going to be able to avoid mentioning. One's Agatha <laughs> Christie, the other one's Alfred Hitchcock. It, it's yeah. an impossibility. You can't you can't not do it. You know, it, okay. it's just, you know, she's the common reference point for any murder mystery. Um, I, I just think what Agatha Christie does, though, is that she she holds your attention straight away. Mm-hmm. Is that, and she will often um, often give you the answer very early on, but then she'll snatch yeah. it back from you without you realising, and you think. God, I thought of that. No, no. I, I, and you think to yourself, I had that. I had that. I, I said it was them. But then you, yeah. she makes you she turn makes you turn away from that possibility. It's and, when you go back through as well, and you see all the little clues she's peppered throughout the chapters, and you're yeah. like, oh, it was there all along. She's right. tricked us all. And that's that's what um, what makes her such a great writer is that she'll put these little. Um, it's little charges, little depth charges, you know, that will go off, but they're not that noticeable, right? And she'll put mm. red herrings in as well. But you, she kind of double bluffs you all the time. And whilst yeah. some critics of Agatha Christie would say that a lot of her stories are very similar, they're similar in so far they follow a certain formula, right? Mm. But, but all genre, film genres follow a formula. They have to. Otherwise, you don't recognise it as such. And you, you don't enjoy it as much because part of it is knowing that this is the type of film you like, right? So you mm. look for the formula. You look for... It's like Knives Out. You know, you look for the common threads in the story. And you think, oh, that's it. I like that. So that's why you watch it. So Agatha Christie will work to a formula. She always did. Mm. But only because she knows it works. And she knows that that's what yeah. draws you in. So I, every time. <laughs> yeah. And she does draw you in every single time. And yeah. I think... Um, I often wonder, though how it is best to to, um, to enjoy Agatha Christie as a creative talent, whether it's best to see one of her plays on stage, whether it's best to read a novel, or whether mm. it's best to read, uh, to watch a film that's been adapted by a screenwriter. It's very difficult. I find it very difficult to, to choose between those three mediums, if you like, that how yeah. it's best to, what do you think? Do you, I mean, have you ever seen an Agatha Christie play? No, I haven't. I really want to. Uh, right. <laughs> well, the the obvious one then is the mousetrap, isn't it? Um, uh, yeah. Which is still I ongoing. Really um, that's that's the one to see. But you see, the thing is, I think we, I think it's no coincidence that a lot of a lot of big murder mystery movies start off as plays. They do. A few good yeah, men was true. a few a few good men was a play, you know, um, and. Woman in Black. Woman in Black, yeah. I mean, they all start, a lot of them started off as plays, and that's no coincidence, really, because with a play, the the emphasis is, is on building a character and building the storyline, isn't it? So, but yeah. you do that best on stage, so that's often where they start, 
right? And I think in some ways, where you see a live performance, you've got a much bigger canvas on film. You can do a lot more on film. But, oh, and it's the atmosphere as well, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Everyone's kind of holding their breath. Yeah. I love that kind of thing. So whilst I, I love all three mediums, I like reading her books, I like watching her plays, I like watching her films or film adaptations. Yeah. But the best way to see um, an Agatha Christie uh, story is on stage every time. Because, <laughs> because it is... That's where you can best enjoy it because it's the real thing. It's happening in front of you, and they can they can trick the audience. They can put in all kinds of effects and build because you're there. You hear it, you see it. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's great stuff. It really is. Um, yeah, I'd go along with that actually. Um, I'd say Agatha Christie is probably the one of the best murder mystery writers because she she set the bar, she set the template. I I think. Who I also think is very good is John Grisham, okay. who made his name writing legal thrillers, uh, Time to Kill, The Chamber, uh, mm-hmm. I would really recommend. Um, okay. Again, he works to a formula. I'm not sure how familiar you are with these films, but um, the first nine or ten novels that he wrote were, were absolutely brilliant. Um, and the, the best, best film that was ever made based on a John Grisham novel was called um, not A Time to Kill, it was called The Chamber with Gene Hackman and uh, Matt Damon Mm. and Matt Damon played the grandson of Gene Hackman's character he was on trial for murder he he would have got the gas chamber, if he gets convicted he'll go to the gas chamber brilliant film, absolutely brilliant film and it's one that I could have included in my top five The Chamber yeah it is it's not it's not a kind of a a pleasant watch you know you could watch something like oh i don't know murder on the express or death on the nile and it's it's a comfortable watch and it's not kind of it's not troubling in in some ways because of the way it's filmed it it has that gloss it has that glamour so you're not really um unduly disturbed by it because it's just Mm. entertainment you know but with the chamber that is a chiller, you know, um, and it, that's the, the kind of film that, um, you know, gets to you, but gets to you in that way that it, you feel, almost feel troubled by it and disturbed by it. But that's the sign mm. of a great film. It's a film oh, that yeah. works. So, so if we were to draw a few conclusions about murder mysteries, um, you know, do you feel it's a genre that's going from strength to strength? Do you think it's going to survive and, and flourish against this glut of superhero movies we've got and oh. franchises? <laughs> do you think it's going to, how do you think it's got, going to, um, maybe it's doing, it's doing well. It must be doing well because yeah. we, we can see films are still being made, but I often wonder though, whether it's going to get buried by um, the superhero type films, you know, the, the, the action type movies that don't require us to think quite as much. I hope not, just because, I mean, my first response to what you were saying was that I just feel like murder mysteries, it is a type of genre that is timeless. Mm. So it has the opportunity to continue on for as long as people are enjoying them. And, you know, that's been over 100 years. Yeah. So yeah. If books, films, plays, 
I yeah. mean, I don't know how we haven't mentioned Sherlock yet, but I know I was just going to say it. In, but... Oh well, let, let's mention Sherlock. Yeah, let's do that because <laughs> do because it. because really, I mean, Sherlock Holmes, uh, written by Arthur Conan Doyle, was the first sleuth, wasn't he? He was the first mm-hmm. um, uh, the first detective. Um, we have to mention him, don't we? Really, um, I had him pinned down as my favourite. Well, I, I was just going. I was just going to move on to that. Um, when sure, we sure. when we look at our favourite detectives, we've got um, uh, we've got a kind of a, a private detective. Uh, we've got a police officer, and we've got a kind of a an accidental sleuth uh, that, yeah. that by circumstances gets dragged into it. So, would you say Sherlock mm-hmm. Holmes is your favourite sleuth then? Yes, absolutely. He's, I, he's everything you'd want and more. What, the, his intelligence is on another level. <laughs> what what makes it? He's a very well drawn character, isn't he? Um, you yeah. know, the the book. I think for a long time, I, I think the edges were rubbed off of Holmes's character, weren't they? Um, sure. You know, where they they did tone him down a little bit because the original novels um, were quite. I want to say. Uh, explicit i mean they he was an opium addict but i mean that was something that never mm-hmm. got they never featured in the early films that were made about homes no. but it only came out later but i think um i think he's the ultimate sleuth isn't he really and you know yeah. the again a bit like proro's moustache you know he had his props he's got the deer stalker he's got the um mm-hmm. but he's got the pipe isn't okay. he you know it yeah. it what I mean, do you have a favourite Sherlock Holmes film at all? Um, God, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. There's so many, isn't there? I really I... like the BBC series that um, Stephen Moffat did. Oh, um, right, with um, Benedict Cumberbatch. Cumberbatch. Yeah, well, that, Freeman, yeah, they were amazing because that, well, they were they were modern. That was a modern take on Sherlock, wasn't it? Yeah, um, I like how again with the classic murder mystery, I like yeah. stories like that that can be reinvented. Oh yeah, cool. So um, all... And it was a very clever the way they use London as a location. Yeah, no, absolutely brilliant. And Benedict Cumberbatch is, you know, could you get a better actor to play Sherlock Holmes? Really, I mean, it, it, it's him, isn't it? And I, I just love that kind of reference to his mind palace. You know, you think, yeah, oh, how's yeah. my mind palace? My mind palace is kind of a bit broken down at the moment. You know, oh, that's <laughs> brilliant. I love that. No, I mean, Holmes, Holmes is an excellent character. And mm. um, I would mention one other, I would mention one Holmes film, Sherlock Holmes film, um, mm-hmm. which is Murder by Decree. Okay. Uh, and this is from the late 70s. Now, judging by your response, I don't think you've seen this, have you? <laughs> no, you've got a lot. <laughs> Amber, you've got a long list of films to see, mate. I tell you. you I remember? know, I know. You've got a very long... Um, Murder by Decree is from 1979. Uh, stars Christopher Plummer as Sherlock Holmes. Oh, ja- yeah. James Mason as, as Watson. Now, this is kind of a bit more left field because it's not based on, a, on an original Holmes story, right? So okay. it's, it's actually based on Jack the Ripper. Now, Jack the Ripper was active in the 1880s. Uh, which is roughly the time that Sherlock Holmes, you know, you know that's the that's where he dates from. He's the late eighteen eighties. Mm-hmm. So Jack what? The Ripper is a murder mystery in itself. Isn't well, it? Exactly. Yeah. But you see, this is why um, I would mention it here and now because um, yeah. it kind of molds together a great detective, a great sleuth with a great murder mystery that's real, that's yeah. authentic, it's real. Um, 
Um, very good. Very, very well written, well acted, great atmosphere. You could believe it was London in the 1880s. Mm. Um, and what it does do is that it takes a theory, a plausible theory about who Jack the Ripper was and builds on it and develops mm. what you might call a, a conspiracy. It's, what it's putting up is a conspiracy. That's pure and simple it is. But it's very, it's plausible. It's like we were saying earlier on, you know, you can be as outrageous as you like, but if you put up a plausible theory, yes, it could happen. You think, yeah, maybe, you know. Um, that's all I'll say about the storyline, because when, you do, when mm. you do see it, you want to see it as fresh as you can. But it's um, brilliantly filmed, very authentic, feels very real. And um, Christopher Plummer plays Sherlock Holmes with more than a hint of... Um, humor there's a there's a lot of kind of sarcastic humor there particularly between him and home uh, him and and watson um Mm -hmm. and him and james mason have got a good kind of knockabout relationship there so it's a film i I would really recommend um for me though yeah best um, best private detective sleuth sleuth must be Holmes, closely followed by hercule Poirot, i think oh yeah um but, many forms. <laughs> yeah, um, but if we look at other types of sleuth, um, is there is there a police officer that comes to mind at all? Do you think? Uh, yes. Who's that? So, then? I'm thinking of Nick Angel in Hot Fuzz. <laughs> oh my God! Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Again, he's in a sleepy village town, which again. Uh, Something that Agatha Christie did very well. Yeah, and yeah. then there's just a series of murders, and he was not expecting that. So he's got to uncover who it is. I, I, love, I love Hot Fuzz. I think it's brilliant. Oh, my God, it's my uh, favourite. It's Simon Pegg, isn't it? Yeah, and like, Nick Frost. Nick Frost, yeah. Perfect. Love it. Uh, ab- absolutely Hero. love it. But you see, what, what I think is great about that is that he... he he, he, he kind of goes into that town, right? And he's, he's used to a certain level of activity. And then for a bit, nothing happens. And you think, you know, you feel his frustration. And all of a sudden, everything's happening before you know it. Yeah. And I, I love that kind of sudden switch, that sudden change in tempo that I think is brilliant. I absolutely love it. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. I'm, I'm down with that one. Very down with Iconic that Iconic film. Oh, my God, I want to watch it right now. <laughs> yeah, I know. I've not seen it for a while. It's the sort of film you could quite happily watch again, it's I think. one of the few films that I just love coming back to. And every time I watch it, it it's just such a treat. <laughs> just well, love it. I just well, love it. <laughs> yeah. Well, my, my favourite, there are so many I could choose. Mm-hmm. Favourite favorite police officer, there are so many I could choose. But I think it's going to have to be Clint Eastwood. As Dirty Harry, Harry Callahan. Again, Ooh. this is um, maybe an unusual choice. I mean, there are a lot that I could choose, but I just like the the kind of the... Um, he's the type of cop that gets results, doesn't always follow the rules, mm-hmm. but is fundamentally decent and and cares about protecting people. And that's, in essence, is what Dirty Harry is that he will do what he has to do to get 
get the result. But if he's got to get his hands dirty, then he will. That's where that phrase, mm. go ahead, punk, make my day, you know, because he's thinking to himself, you want to you want to try it? Go on then. It, you know, here are the consequences. <laughs> it's going to make my day if you go for that gun sort of thing. And I just love yeah. that kind of, that attitude to think, right, okay, if, if is this the way you want it? We'll we'll play we'll play dirty if you if you want to. So I'd recommend mm-hmm. Dirty Harry, Sudden Impacts, uh, and Tightrope oh, yeah. as well. They're all from the seventies, but they're fantastic films. They're so watchable, uh, and they are within the, the genre. I think to be fair, mm. they are. The seventies was the decade, it seems, for all these incredible murder mystery films. I, I think it, it's a great time for for films. The, yeah. I, I I tend to think. The, the great, I, maybe it's just the way I see it at the moment, but I think the great films are kind of behind us. There are a few great, great films in front of us. What we're seeing now are very efficient, well-made films that, that kind of tick all the boxes, that make money. But, you know, back then, we were tripping over classic films, I think. Mm-hmm. Now, they're more difficult to find. You know, I don't want to be over harsh, because we are film critics, but we're film writers. And um, but we can appreciate what true quality is. And I don't think you necessarily see it as often these days. But back then, there were loads. Okay, so that last subsection of favourite sleuths, have you got one for the accidental sleuth? You know, the the character that just falls into a situation Mm -hmm. by circumstances and ends up solving the crime. Is there anyone like that that springs to mind for you? So I think this is my sixth film, um, like we were discussing earlier. Um, Rachel in The Girl on the Train, I think, ah, for me, right. Interesting. is the best accidental detective. Because The Girl on the Train is just brilliant. Like, Do you know, I've not actually seen you know, that. You've got this. Yeah. Oh, it's... I would recommend. I'm glad, I'm glad I'm recommending a film to you. For no, no, no. I'm not, I'm not seeing that. No, no, no. Really, I'm not seeing that at all. Um, um, yeah. So it's basically an alcoholic divorcee. Um, she gets the train to work every day. Um, yeah. And the train stops in the same place every morning at a red signal. Yeah. yeah. And she's looking at these houses um, and she creates this story in her mind of the, you know, the characters that she sees. Right. It's kind of like a rear window. Yeah, yeah, it is, isn't it? It's similar, yeah, yeah. But then um, she ends up getting pulled into a missing person investigation, um, and it's, it's there's so many twists and turns. You think it's going to go one way. You're not sure if she's a reliable narrator or not, and then yeah. the film just goes completely the other way. Yeah. Um, we are kind of watching with her. We like the the viewer and her are so aligned in this in this film adaptation. It's yeah. brilliant. Cannot recommend it enough. It sounds really <laughs> it's good. Yeah, no, no, it's intense, and that you 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 sold it to me straight away. That that kind of thing. That's why we love murder mysteries, though, isn't it? You know that kind mm. of storyline is so inviting. It brings you and you think, right, I'm hooked straight away. I want to yeah. know about her i want to know what she's thinking i want to know what how she's drawing yeah. these conclusions or how she's it's being the same pulled with in the book as well it's the same with the book because yeah. you can't even though she it's from her perspective you can't quite tell what's going on in her mind and that's yeah. what's so intriguing and then that's how when everything is slowly revealed in yeah. the book and in the film you're suddenly yeah. like oh 
So that's what's going on. Yeah, it's so, brilliant. So, um, so you've read the book as well. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I read it um, during the first lockdown, and I just right. couldn't put it down. Right. So, so yeah. So, so we always say, don't we? Often say that the book is always going to be better than the film, generally as a rule. Mm-hmm. Is that is that the case here? Do you think? I think it's a pretty equal playing field. Yeah. I think the the film is quite true to the book, but then also does different things that are still really good. <laughs> yeah, you get what that, I mean. Yeah, that well, that was going to be my next question. You know, um, mm-hmm. you know, is is it really um, is it as as good as the book? Does it hold its own, or is it you know is it yeah. faithful to the story? Because you know when it gets on screen, yeah, there are some things you can't put on screen, you know. And yeah. but you say so. So from what you can see, it's fairly faithful to the book. It it sticks to the same ground there generally. Yeah, I think it 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 really brings the characters to life as well. Um, the the casting is. It, you can you can picture it's exactly how you would picture the characters um yeah, yeah it's i mean i keep using the word brilliant it is no, it's it, just that it it's, sounds she's it. not your um typical heroine either yeah. obviously because she's but, been pulled into this whole yeah, thing but that um, that, that gives yeah. the character more more power though doesn't it because there's yeah. there's nothing special about it. she's just an ordinary woman and yeah, you kind of really flawed yeah yeah, so you relate yeah. to her more because we're all flawed, aren't we? And you think, right, exactly. again, it's about you being on the side of the character. You think you're you're in their corner, right? You understand them, you get mm-hmm. them because you think that well, they're like us, they're normal, regular people. I think that's an important mm-hmm. part of any character to write is to make people care about them and want to be on their side, and you root for them. That's the important thing. I think for me, when it comes to accidental detectives or what they sometimes call a provisional detective in stories um Mm -hmm. the one that springs to mind for me is dead on arrival now this film's been remade a couple of times but the most recent version stars dennis quaid and Mm -hmm. basically it's a guy that gets poisoned and he's got 24 hours to live and he's got to find out who poisoned him why what he's been poisoned with if there's an antidote and that you think, great, are you hooked? You know, that's all you need to know. That's that's all you need I'm to know, isn't ready. it? It's it's it's. Um, I think the original is probably a bit better, but the the most recent version with, with um, uh, Dennis Quaid is probably the best one to go for. But that for me yeah. is, is the ultimate um, accidental sleuth, where someone's poisoned, been poisoned, and they're trying to save their own lives. They're trying mm. to solve their own murder before it happens, you know? Yeah. Do you know what I'm getting at? It's that sort of thing, isn't it? Um, Definitely. Great. So a great premise for a story. You know, you think, you hear that, you think, right, I'm intrigued by it now. Because, yeah, the clock's ticking. Yeah, the clock's <laughs> ticking. You put yourself in their shoes. Um, so that's that's a good one for me. So. Uh, yeah, I like the sound of that. So that... <laughs> So we both got a long list of films to see, haven't we? Absolutely. We've got, a bit, got more than you. But... They're, they're, they're piling up. Okay, yeah. then. I think that's probably all we've got time for. I'm sorry to say. Um, but it's been brilliant. Amber, thank you for joining me on this podcast. It's been brilliant. Yeah, thank you. And, yeah. and thank you to, to all our listeners. Please join us again. This has been a UK film review. Please take care of yourself. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.